HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following message has been brought to you by Fairway Market. What's the buzz about honey? Well, those busy little bees are up to something, and it is delicious. The Fairway label honey is superb. Fairway only hires worker bees that are the best at what they do. This makes for a great-tasting, high-quality honey at an amazing value with the Fairway stamp of approval. And on top of being delicious, honey is a great substitute for other sweeteners and can even benefit your health. This includes better energy, respiratory improvements, and balanced blood sugar levels. It's a no-brainer. Get your Fairway honey today. My A lovely lemon tree Don't put your faith in love, my boy My father said to me I fear you'll find that love is like A lovely lemon tree Happy Monday, and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. My co-host is Sophie Schlesinger, and today we are talking about the state of cheese in Maine. Yes, and what you were just listening to was a song uh, sung by Peter, Paul, and Mary, but written by Will Holt, who is a famous Maine songwriter, FYI. Famous Maine songwriter. It seems like Sophie did some great research and, and discovered some really interesting tidbits about Maine. Sophie, you gotta you oh, gotta yeah. let them loose. <laughs> so somewhat cheese related is that Maine is the largest exporter of blueberries and toothpicks. So toothpicks kind of, essential yeah, to any cheese tasting. Exactly, and blueberries are a nice accompaniment to to cheese at times. Oh, blueberries are my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and many Olympians, you said, right? Right, yep. Yeah, Lots of like Olympians. Those founder of L.L. Bean. Hey. Obviously. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, and uh, and home to lots of great cheesemakers. Um, right. So today we're going to be talking first with Deborah Hahn of Hahn's End Creamery, and then uh, in the second part of the show with Barbara Brooks from Seal Cove Farm. Uh, Deborah, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you so much for um, agreeing to be on our show. Uh, very short notice, but um, very much appreciated. Oh, you're welcome. Um, so um, we're, we would love to talk a little bit about your farm, but um, before we b- before we do that, I'd love to talk with you about the Maine uh, Cheese Guild because it's a really interesting group um, and one that I feel like our listeners should should definitely know about. Um, when did the guild get started? Uh, the Guild was formed uh, about 10 years ago. A group of, um, a small group of cheesemakers were interested in meeting on a regular basis and uh, sharing 
ideas, information about um, products associated with uh, the cheesemaking business, uh, and also holding workshops on a regular basis and bringing in uh, instructors or cheesemakers from other states or and or countries um, to share their knowledge with us. Um, and it's been very successful. That's really great. Well, I mean, it, it's amazing. Uh, it, I feel like especially with a, a profession like cheesemaking, which can be pretty sort of solitary at times because you spend a lot of time on the farm, it's really important to develop that sense of community because everybody is kind of facing the same problems. And It is, it is a very solitary um, profession most of the time. And it is, uh, it's fabulous to be able to meet with other cheesemakers and talk about our problems and successes and share uh, great cheese. Absolutely. And so were you part of the, uh, the founding um, sort of committee for, for the Guild, or did you join on I was. later? No, I was. Uh, it originally started with the Maine Organic Farmers and Growers Association. They were interested in promoting value-added products for mostly dairy farmers because the dairy farmers were uh, facing severe economic problems, uh, which, you know, is kind of an ongoing thing. But they were trying to um, find different ways of using fluid milk that would uh, be profitable for dairy farmers. So it started out with the main Organic Farmers and Growers Association and from there, we, as a small group of cheesemakers, uh, really took, o- took, took over and started the Guild as a separate entity. That, well, I'm really glad that you mentioned the Maine Organic Farmers and Growers Association. Um, they have a great festival every, every fall um, that I had the privilege of going to once. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it's usually, is it in September? It is in September. It's the third week in September. It's called the Common Ground Country Fair. Um, actually, I will be selling my cheese there this year. I am going to be buying in some organic milk uh, to produce some organic blue cheese, which will be available at the Common Ground Fair this year. Oh man! Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of great products there. Not just cheese. I mean, there's there's fresh um, produce. Uh, there, there's just so many interesting things to see. There's demonstrations. It's it's really an educational fair. Um, it- and it, and it revolves around the farm and agriculture, totally. And so if people wanted to learn more about that, we can, we can definitely look this up if it's not right oh, on the yeah. tip of your tongue. But um, does uh, uh, Mofka oh, have a you website? Can, you can go to the Mofka website, um, or you can go, if you, if you just type in Common Ground Country Fair Unity, Maine, um, you'd be able to find it. But yes, Mofka has a website. And now I feel like, yeah, this is a really interesting sort of, I don't know, main tangent, because I feel like more so than other places, and it's especially demonstrated at the Common Ground Fair, but um, a lot of different lost arts of farming are are kind of being preserved and yeah. celebrated in Maine, is, yeah. you know, in a bigger way than other parts of the country. What would you attribute that to? I, I don't know, <laughs> but I totally agree with you. I think it is fabulous. Um, it's so 
great to go, even if you just go to the farmer's markets that we have in Maine, you see so many young people that are just so passionate about farming and making things the way that they were made 100 years ago with, um, you know, the lack of, not using, you know, a lot of machinery. Um, Most people try, especially with, like, produce, uh, they're, you know, really trying to do the right thing as far as if they're not certified organic, they're using um, organic methods in their farming practices. And I really, I don't know why it's, it's so, you see so much of that in Maine. I can't answer that. But it, but it's there, and it's really great. <laughs> it's yeah, no, I, I just off the top of my head, you know, I saw wool being spun. I saw people yeah. um, cutting hay with uh, with scythes. I saw a stone cutting demonstration. Cool. There were like fiddlers everywhere. Oh yes, it's um, really it's fabulous. Yeah, so if anybody has you know if anybody has some time in September, highly highly recommended. Um, but so, well, I guess getting back to the guild a little bit, um, can you talk a little bit about, um, the kinds of workshops and events that you, that you organize for your fellow cheesemakers? Um, yes. Well, um, we recently had, um, let's see, we had an instructor from France, Patrick Anglade. He was, he's a cheese consultant in France. And he sometimes teaches workshops in the United States. Uh, he taught. He was um, doing mostly um, affinage. Uh, that was an affinage workshop. Last weekend we had Peter Dixon from Vermont doing an Italian cheese workshop. Uh, last year we had um, a workshop on uh, rennet from actually from kids. Uh, there's a farm in Maine that produces their own rennet. Oh, they wow. Have goats. They have goats, and they harvest um, the rennet from the kids. So that was um, one of the workshops we had last year. So it's, it's really huge. I think uh, also last year we had a workshop on just uh, cheese cultures. We had um, the president of Dairy Connection came up and taught that workshop. So it's really it really runs the gamut from you know, everything from rennet and culture to specific cheeses. We've had workshops where people just come and um, talk about the products that they sell as far as, like, cheese paper, molds, um, you know, anything that's used in the cheese-making process. So it's it's a huge range of different uh, workshops that we have. It's a good resource, too, for people who are just starting to make cheese and you know, it's need, great. need something to turn to. We have beginning workshops also. Individual cheesemakers uh, teach um, beginning workshops on, it's almost a monthly basis Wow! Uh, at a farm in Wiscasset. So that's, if you went to the Maine Cheese Guild website, you would find a listing of the current workshops on that website. Cool. And, Deborah, I was wondering, too, um, does the Guild do anything to kind of promote Maine cheesemakers mo- cheese to consumers in Maine or, you know, get people excited who maybe don't work in cheese about buying Maine cheese? Um, we do. We have, um, every year we have a Cheese Guild Christmas party where we invite uh, retailers to come join us um, for, a, it's basically a celebration of cheese. 
at that time, uh, in September every year, we every cheesemaker makes a cheese from the same recipe. It's a tome recipe, kind of, you know, it's a simple cheese mm-hmm. recipe. And we age it in our own facilities. And then we bring the cheese to the cheese party. And you can, none of them are the same. It's yeah. Wow. It's really fun. And we offer those cheeses to retailers. So it's a special kind of like a Christmas cheese um, that's only offered once a year. That's cool. And probably something that, that retailers aren't really expecting, too, if, if you're saying, you know, that every cheesemaker is making the same cheese, but a totally different But they're result. totally different because of the aging, sure. um, you know, different techniques that different cheesemakers employ. Of course, you know, some there are obvious differences between you know, goat, sheep, and cow milk. But, right. um, yeah, it's it's pretty uh, interesting to see. Cool. <laughs> well, and so can you tell us a little bit about your farm, um, Hans End, and how uh, what kind of cheeses you make and, uh, and how long you've been making cheese? Uh, yeah, I've been making cheese for uh, 12 years, and I'm located in Phippsburg, one of the many peninsulas we have along the coast of Maine. I use uh, cow's milk. I'm using cow, just cow's milk now. I buy the milk from a family farm that's not too far away from my house. Uh, it's raw milk. I also, in the summer, because I do so many farmer's markets, I have some uh, fresher aged cheeses that are maybe only aged three to four weeks that I buy pasteurized milk from another farm um, also in my local area. And, uh, you know, I've, I've just fallen in love with cheese making. So. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you learn initially? Um, did you, was it just kind of trial and error or did you? It is, it is a lot of, tri- there's a lot of trial and error involved. Um, I was, like I said, I was fortunate enough to be a member of the cheese guild, you know, right from the beginning. And I've, I try to take at least, one workshop a year because I have never yet taken a workshop that I don't learn something um, and get, you know, there's also picking up information from um, other cheesemakers. But, yeah, it's a lot of trial and error, um, but you really, you know, you really have to eventually, I think, if you're serious about it, you really need to take some type of formal training from, you know, if it's not um, in Maine, you know, from some other, uh, like UVM or, you know, another educational institute where it's, it's more formal and you can really get the, the chemistry and the, you know, understanding what actually happens when you're making cheese. Absolutely. I think that's really critical. Yeah, well, and plus, you know, cheese making is not easy work. And so to put all that time and effort in, you know, you want a product at the end of the day that, that you know, yeah. tastes good yeah. and reflects all that. Right. And there's also a consistency. You, you want to, especially if you're selling to the public, uh, you know, they're expecting a certain, you know, flavor or, you know, cons- hardness or, or whatever from the from whatever cheese you're making. So... You know, in order to be consistent, um, you know, there's certain techniques that people can, you know, teach you or, or tell you about that, you know, will help you in the in that end. 
Well, so if people want to find um, your cheeses, I know a lot of people um, try to, you know, well, people, who knows? I, I never know who's listening to the show. <laughs> it could be people from New York who are getting out of town for the summer. It could be people who already live in Maine. Um, you mentioned that there's a great website um, that lists farmer's markets in Maine. I'd love to know what that is so our listeners can find your cheeses. Yeah, this website actually, um, this one for Maine, I liked a lot. Um, but you can also find farmers markets in other states. But the reason I like this website is because uh, when you click on the individual farmers market, it will tell you the location, the hours of operation. It gives you a little summary of what to expect when you you know from that particular market because they're all different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called farmers. Uh, the website's. Um, FarmersMarketOnline.com. Okay. FarmersMarketOnline.com. Backslash FM. Backslash Maine.htm. All right. But if that's too long, just do Farmers Market Online, and then you can go right to Maine. (laughs) (laughs) We'll put it up. We'll put a link up there on our site so everybody can click right to it. Um, Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And hopefully we'll be be up in Maine sometime soon, get to try some of your cheese. Yeah. I hope so. (laughs) Common Ground Fair in September. Coming up. (laughs) Stay with us on Cutting the Curd. Thank you, Deborah. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Tune in to the main course Sundays at 12 p.m. with hosts Patrick Martins and Katie Kiefer. They examine issues from the interconnected worlds of agriculture, cuisine, and sustainability. They sit down with key players in the chain from producer to consumer, farmers, distributors, chefs, activists, and journalists. The main course explores every important component of the eating experience how the farmers raise their product, the distribution channels that move the product, how the chefs prepare it, and how ethics and policy affect everyone involved. Again, that's the main course, Sundays, noon, on the Heritage Radio Network. 
And with that, we are back on Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Anne Saxelby. My co-host is Sophie Schlesinger. And today we are talking the state of cheese in Maine, a very fascinating cheese state. Um, and for this half of the show, we are talking with Barbara Brooks of Seal Cove Farm. Are you with us, Barbara? I am. Hi, Anne. Hello. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Sophie. <laughs> Um, well, I guess to go right into it, I was kind of wondering if you could tell us about what's keeping you super busy this spring season. And are you um, busy with the goats? Is it goat kidding season? And, and what's that been like? Well, we have our babies, or the goats have their babies, during February and March. And then um, the babies leave around Easter time. So then we have a new um, issue with lots and lots and lots of milk and every day we have to do something with our milk Mm so um we've had 250 babies wow (laughs) actually had the last one on mother's day that's appropriate (laughs) thought so a little yearling had the last baby which is very nice a little brown baby with a pink nose kind of cute for the final final baby and so now that we have milk. One of the things about um, milking our own animals, and especially goats, is that um, we never, we always have to do something with the milk. We never have the opportunity to call the, the tank truck to come take the milk away if we were as if we were a dairy farm, a cow farm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we um, this spring we've been making a lot of um, hard aged goat cheese which is a a new departure for us because we've primarily made soft lactic cheeses like Chev. Right. And um, we've been experimenting with some of our mixed milk cheeses where we buy cow's milk and we make a pearl, um, which is in the bloomy rind family. But at this time of year, the milk is very still very rich, Mm -hmm. and um, so we've been making a lot of um, hard cheese, and we're trying to... Um, because we've switched from making lactic or soft cheeses to this hard cheese, it's a new um, adventure. Yeah, <laughs> call it a new adventure. A new adventure, always, adventure. always a positive outlook. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, we were just talking with Deborah Han um, uh, before, and she was mentioning um, that uh, your French cheese ninja Patrick had just been in town for a cheese guild um uh workshop and um i thought maybe we could talk a little bit about uh about what you've learned from from that workshop or if you had uh, patrick come to your farm directly to do some consulting or um how he's helping you with those hard cheeses that that um the f the affinage is always the, the 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 trickiest part i think actually making the cheese is really once you learn get the process down and um, can get a consistent product. And I found now that we rely on titrations, um, we check the pH constantly during the make process, and that's helping us to um, make a more consistent cheese and know when it's time to um, do things to the, to the cheese. You know, like if it's time, you know, if, it's, if the pH is a certain pH, now we know it's, that the cheese is finished and we can transfer it to the cool room for the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, until the next day when we're going to salt it. And, um, yeah, Patrick actually came here 
and um, that was very helpful. And I, we, we actually made some hard cheese when he was here, and I wanted to, to have him check um, the process, the way we were, you know, our production, um, the way we were producing it. And um, he was very helpful with that. It was really terrific to have someone with fresh eyes come in because one of the things that I've been um, on this new adventure, I <laughs> feel like we're very inefficient now because we've always made soft cheese and we have a very good routine with that. And now to go into this, it's, a, it's a, just a different way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, maybe I was wondering if you could touch upon for for listeners who are wondering if you're trying to you know change something about a cheese that you're making what are different factors that you might look to first or different steps of the process that you might think about first when you're kind of going back and and reevaluating how you're making that cheese well you know um actually keeping records is really really helpful and really important and patrick really helped me um firm up you know some days the milk might be one degree hotter when you set it. The cheese becomes, it's different. It's different when you're making it. Um, right. You either, if you can adjust the temperature down, that's great. Um, the biggest um, starting, when we started making the cheese, was developing the proper acidity, ripening the milk mm-hmm. before we actually put the rennet in to um, start the process. And when you work with goat's milk, it's very delicate and... Um, it's a um, because the fat globules are small. It's homogenized, and so we um, made some adjustments in um, the pH. The way we were working with that, and found that our, our milk was actually um, we try not to acidify it too much. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you, turn, you get you end up with soup. <laughs> yeah. And um, so we adjusted that. Um, one of the things that for us, because we've, um, because the, the equipment that we're adapting right now to make this hard cheese, getting the whey out of the vat um, quickly within five minutes so that you've just got the curd left in the vat, that was a little bit of a challenge in the beginning. How do we do that? Are we going to bucket it out? Can you can't scoop it out and running it out of the um, bottom of the vat that we were using. You know, we didn't have a screen, you know, that we adapted to go across the bat, the bottom of the vat to be able to get that um, way out quickly, which is really important mm-hmm. because you're still developing acidity on that and you really don't want to do that. So um, we've, we're, we're adjusting to that. <laughs> and so now instead of working with uh, 60 gallons at a time, we're trying to um, use 120 gallons. And that was it. We're using a different vat, so we've had to adjust you know, again, think about how are we going to get that curd? How are we going to get that curd out of here? Quick, I mean, the the way out quickly. And again, we keep adjusting the, you know, checking that pH, checking the titrations, and that's been very, very helpful. To do that. Well, that's so. I was wondering. Um, it's actually so. It's funny on your on your new adventure. You're not only um, you know a cheese maker, but you're also like an engineer trying to figure yeah. all these things out. <laughs> I think, yeah, learning how to use the equipment is really, um, you know, when you've made in our smaller vat, you know, we know how long it's going to take to warm things up. We know how long it's going to take to evacuate the vat, that kind of thing. And so then when you move into something bigger, you're starting again. 
And mm. it's not impossible. It's just, you know, once you get that process down, it takes a few weeks, but you can get the process down. But the nicest thing was I was surprised the first day we doubled the amount of milk we were using that once we set the milk and it was time to cut the curd, it looked just like curd was supposed to. And I thought, how? <laughs> now, I was wondering if you could um, talk a little bit about this shift in your business because um, you were saying that in the beginning you sold mostly lactic fresh cheeses and now you're moving more into aged cheeses with rinds. Um, how do you, you know, how do you think that the consumer in Maine and elsewhere has sort of played into that change? I think that um, when I first started making cheese many, many years ago, people weren't even sure they wanted to try Chev. And we had to put, put cheese in people's mouths. <laughs> and now, because there's such an interest in cheese and people are much more adventuresome and their palates have developed, I guess, um, I think people talk about the complexity of hard cheeses. Um, mm-hmm. and are more willing to try something that might have um, different flavors and, and different complexities. Um, and then with the goat, because it's so specifically, I don't know how to describe it. It's goat, not, you know, cow, cow's milk. It's a little it's tangy. Very, it's, got a, it's got a different personality. <laughs> that's, that personality is good. So, <laughs> so... We've, um, so we now, the demand now is becoming much more for hard cheese as people want that. And, and actually, um, most of the, most, a third of our volume is sold outside of Maine. So that's where the demand for the hard cheese really is, especially in the wintertime. Wow. So can you tell us a little bit more about your, the distribution of your cheeses? Um, yeah. When you sell them in Maine, where do you sell them? And uh, when you're selling them elsewhere, who, who's, uh, yeah, where do they go? So we, we milk 132 goats and we sell um, a third of our cheese stays here in Maine with soft cheese. And I have one distributor in Maine who carries it around to the specialty shops in Maine. And we have a little farm stand um, here, nice retail space. And we actually, we make a lot of little cheeses uh, in the French style of that we don't, that don't travel well, that don't, um, because of their size, it's hard to market them in a retail shop. And we sell a lot of those here. So people that come here really get a treat. And um, then um, we sell... Another third of our volume goes to Boston, and then the rest goes to places like Ann Saxelby. And <laughs> <laughs> thank you, <laughs> we love Barbara's cheese. I actually um, this morning in our in our weekly update, I, uh, I I was singing the praises of the Pearl and, and the Chevrotin, uh, two of the mixed milk cheeses that we sell at the shop. They're so tasty, and I and feel I like think- oh, what were you going to say? I was just going to say the Pearl's been really fun because that was a little tricky to get started with, um, mixing the milk and um, getting the rinds just right. I mean, we did, we did have a time when they, were, they could be bitter, a little bit bitter, which I did find out from Patrick is um, sometimes during the aging of cheese, bitterness is normal. But I said to him, that's not acceptable at any stage with this 
<laughs> with, with a lactic cheese like this. So how to, what, what can we adjust? And so um, I fooled with the rennet a little bit to see if I could use a little less rennet, and maybe that um, has had a little bit of effect without losing the texture of the cheese. Wow. And so, um, well, I feel like we should talk about other aspects of your farm because I feel like you've got a ton of stuff going on. I mean, um, uh, just the the people who are coming by and, and give you guys great stuff and kind of make up your community could be a whole show in and of, in and of itself. Um, I remember when we talked last week, you had mentioned that somebody had just dropped off some very special fish that they had, uh, that they had gotten. No. <laughs> oh, smell. No, they were, you told me alewives. Uh, yes, there were alewives too. <laughs> See, <laughs> you're very lucky. Yeah. <laughs> And they, um, we have an intern from Japan, a young woman, and they get very excited when they see any kind of fish coming through the door. <laughs> and um, so we fried those nice fresh fish up. Yeah, it's really fun. And, and now I, I'm, um, a neighbor will be probably showing up with some fiddleheads, which it's that season here. And, you know, fiddleheads are a fern, mm-hmm. and they grow only in certain special spots that are very wet and um, harvesting them uh, Stacy goes you know he takes a canoe and then he hikes a little while and then it's a, it's a very special spot Wow and it's several hours from here but he will go and get them wow. but we have um, with our goats we um, um, milk them and we sell most of our uh, kids to these uh, Italians who come and and buy our babies and sell them for Easter. I know that's not always a savory thing to talk about, but it's a reality of... <laughs> that's the, what makes the, the world go round, absolutely. <laughs> and um, we compost all of our um, barn bedding, and that's turned out to be a very nice little side business for us. Um, we, with the farm stand, people come and they... We cross-merchandise compost and cheese. That's such a good idea. It's, it's a great <laughs> idea. It's something that every farm yeah. has the potential to do. And like you said, if you have a, if you have a retail presence on your farm, it's, it's great because who doesn't need great compost when it's you know, time to start the garden? Exactly, yeah. That's right. And we have, you know, and there are times when we don't, we don't have enough. And in a spring like this where it's cold and rainy, and um, that actually helps us out a little bit. Um, because what we have left from the winter cleaning um, will be nicely composted by the time we're we're ready to um, sell it. So that it's it's really it's that's been just a really great thing for us to do. I'm I'm um, pleased. And one of the things um, we also compost, for example, all of the paper towels that we use when we wipe udders during milking. Mm. So they go out there, and so we try to recycle as much um, stuff as we can, and that's um, very helpful to know that it can go back. It also it also is a nice to have that compost pile when we have cheese that doesn't turn out. Oh yeah, yeah. you either need yeah. a good compost pile or some good pigs. So <laughs> that's yeah. right. And the way um, from our uh, pasteurized milk that we um, produce with our soft for our soft cheese. We pump the way out um, for the goats to drink, and um, otherwise that could become a real problem 
you know, what do you do with that, that volume of whey that you've got? Yeah. And um, it's got, you know, a few, some minerals in it, and they, they quite like it. They have a little steeplechase event. But <laughs> <laughs> it's that way. So that's another, another recycling um, piece that we can, we can do. Absolutely. When we make uh, the raw milk cheese, we um, sometimes pump that in, out into the compost, but that's a little trickier. Picking <laughs> some pigs would be a good idea. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Like you need, step. like you need more <laughs> animals on the farm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Another job. Yeah. <laughs> well, we listen. Raise, I, oh wait, what were you going to say? I was just going to talk about the turkeys, the, the the twenty turkeys that we raise every year who who love um, who love the curd that that's left over in the bottom of the tank when we make hard cheese. A little bit of curd that sometimes left goes out with the whey. Oh, love I bet that. they love that. Yeah, <laughs> Special, I love it. Whey fed pork and curd fed turkey. Yeah, a new right. a new tradition. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, listen, I hate to do it, but we are out of time today. Um, but before we go, I just wanted you to, um, if people want to find Sealco Farm, they're coming up to Maine for the summer. Um, uh, do you have a website that people can check out? Yep, MaineGoatCheese dot com, and we are up near Acadia National Park, Bar Harbor, and, um, but it's maingocheese.com, and actually if you go to the Maine Cheese Guild website, which is a really nice little website, um, there's, a, there's a whole little cheese trail map that you could look at and hit a lot of little producers on the way up here. Great. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Barbara, Very for welcome, taking time out of your incredibly you. busy cheesemaking, kidding, fish frying <laughs> schedule to talk with us. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. And um, we will be back next week on Cutting the Curd with another episode of Cheesy Something or Other. <laughs> See you next week. my boy, my father said to me. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on HeritageRadioNetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. This is Behind the Scenes News with Katie Kiefer. Just this week, I read about um, my one of my favorite television personalities, Mike Rowe of Dirty Jobs, who testified in Congress about how disconnected Americans in general have become from the people who produce their food or fix their pipes, make their clothes, etc. Here's what he said. I believe we need a national PR campaign for skilled labor. Something that addresses the widening skills gap head-on and reconnects the country with the most important part of our workforce. Right now, American manufacturing is struggling to fill 200,000 vacant positions, and there are 450,000 openings in trades, transportation, and utilities. The skills gap is real, and it's getting wider. In Alabama, a third of all skilled tradesmen are over 55. They're retiring fast, and no one is there to replace them. In general, we are surprised that high unemployment can exist at the same time as a skilled labor shortage, but we shouldn't be. We've pretty much guaranteed it.
In high schools, the vocational arts have all but vanished. We've elevated the importance of higher education to such a lofty perch that all other forms of knowledge are now labeled alternative. Millions of parents and kids are, see apprenticeships and on-the-job training opportunities as, quote, vocational consolation prizes, best suited for those not cut out for a four-year degree. And still, we talk about millions of shovel-ready jobs for a society that does not encourage people to pick up a shovel. In a hundred different ways, we've slowly marginalized an entire category of critical professions, reshaping our expectations of a good job into something that no longer looks like work. A few years from now, an hour with a good plumber, if you can find one, is going to cost you more than an hour with a good psychiatrist. So check out Mike Rowe Works, that's his website, where he is announcing a broad-based initiative from Discovery Communications called Discover Your Skills. I think he has a lot of interesting points to be made here, and I think everybody would do well to take a look at it. So this is Behind the Scenes News from Katie Kiefer. Thanks for listening. The following is a message from Heritage Foods USA. In the next few weeks, Heritage Foods USA will be offering an interesting variety of amazing products, ranging from top-quality seafood to their famous pork cuts. At the end of May, the Heritage team will go up to Maine to harvest fresh lobster with sustainable lobstermen. These delicious lobster are a perfect way to kick off the summer season. In the pork department, Heritage Foods USA will offer the maple-cured smoked boneless Heritage ham at an unbeatable price. This offer won't last long, so get them while you can. Place your order today at heritagefoodsusa.com or call 718-389-0985. That's 718-389-0985 to place your order with Andrea or Ashley. And don't forget to sign up for the email list and to check them on Facebook and Twitter to get in on their new products, deals, and offers from Heritage Foods USA. Hi, this is Moby, and you're listening to the Heritage Radio Network.